Man, I'm having so much fun. This is a $1.6 trillion industry. I'm talking about the food and beverage space. If you're not having fun, you're in the wrong place. Yes, it's hard work, but my gosh, the companies, the brands, the flavors, the experiences, the missions, it's fantastic. But some of the brands are different, better, and special. They're the ones who are able to really compete and vie for customer loyalty. Look, I know you want to make your brand different, better, and special. I know you yourself want to be different, better, and special. That's my mission. That's why you're here. Join me on this journey as I interview CEOs and founders from all the different companies within the food and beverage industry so we can discover what they're doing, so we can take that information back, digest it, and become better ourselves and to help our companies take on different strategies, pick the right technology, pick the right partners, and of course, you got to have great tasting food. You got to have great tasting beverages, packaged goods. If it doesn't taste good, you're lost. I'm sorry. You're going to lose millions. If you're new here, take the five episode challenge. Go back, pick out some brands and CEOs, some topics. If you love the content, subscribe. You're going to find it on every podcast platform once or twice a week. But I also publish them on LinkedIn because that's where we kind of hang out. So when you see it on LinkedIn, Stop by, make a comment, share it back into your food and beverage network. I would appreciate it. The brands would appreciate it. To all my loyal listeners, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being with me on this journey. Thanks for coming along on this mission for the past two years. If you are considering a strategic job change, message me. Let's have a confidential conversation. If your brand is growing and you need to attract experts, you also need to contact me because I have created a different, better, and special recruiting system. I promise you, no other search firm in America is doing that. Who am I? I'm Tony Moore. I'm an expert food and beverage headhunter, semi-professional podcaster, and I'm here each and every week. Stay tuned for this week's episode. Mahatahiri. Uh, you're a PhD. Do do most people um, address you as uh, Doctor Tahiri? Most people address me as Maha. <laughs> I don't want <laughs> some people. You know they they've earned it. You know so okay, perfect. I've Maha. earned it, but I uh, I think I need uh, I think people need to earn uh, their credential every day because it's not because you've had it 25 years ago that that you you have that title. Every day. So you can call me Maha. Well said. You are not resting on your laurels. I love it, Maha. Well, I want to give people a little bit of your background. You'll do it much better than me, but we, a lot of us use LinkedIn. So you really have positioned yourself as a board advisor, an expert in nutrition, sustainability, uh, scaling. Uh, We're always interested in scaling, uh, innovation. Uh, you were the former chief health and wellness officer at General Mills. That should open a few eyes and prick a few ears because that is one of the largest consumer brands in the world. And Maha and I were were chatting just about all the different applications that she's involved in, the, the different boards that she's involved with and the things that she's advising. And I thought, you know, I would love to have her come on and just talk a little bit about life and you know, the trends, kind of what's happening in the food and beverage space. We're going to make it really casual. And I hope that we can invite Maha back 
when we have food and beverage brands on and she can kind of listen to the CEOs and entrepreneurs and see what they're working on and kind of get her unique perspective. So Maha, thank you so much for joining us and bringing in your birds as well. <laughs> well, I closed the door so that there will be no oh, background. Oh, well, you know, that's <laughs> probably best, probably best. Oh, I'm, I'm in my office office, so no one's going to hear my cute little dog barking either. So that's probably. And I am in my office office because I work from home. You, so you're, you're full-time remote. That's nice. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk a little bit about your actual expertise. So when you go to a party and someone says, Maha, what do you do? <laughs> How do you, <laughs> what do you tell them? I actually try not to talk about my expertise when I go to a party. <laughs> well, if you're forced into it, you're stuck in a corner and a guy comes up and he's holding a drink and you're like, oh God, I can't get out of this. The minute I say I have a background in human nutrition, I start doing the uh, the plan for everybody to lose weight. So, and that is not what I do, actually. Um, I have a PhD in human nutrition, and um, I chose the path of nutrition because I really wanted to have an impact on people's lives. So very early in my career, in, in my education, I uh, that was my purpose, and nutrition was really a good way of um, of doing it. And I wanted to do it with scale. And so that's, that's why I joined the food industry. And I worked for four major companies in the world that truly are in the pantries of almost everybody. I worked for Mars, for Coca-Cola, for Danone, and for General Mills. And my roles were truly at the intersection between scientific research, regulatory, communication, but with always a name towards health and wellness innovation. I've done a lot of work with consumer. Um, I worked in, um, for 24 years, I was based in Europe. For 10 years, I was based here in the U.S. Most of my roles were global. And so it, it, it's truly, I would say, my um, my role in these companies with my teams, because you never achieve anything on your own, it's um, it was really translating science into business opportunities. Um, so, in a nutshell, that's that's what I do, and I did that for more than twenty years. And three years ago, um, I also have, in parallel to nutrition and to innovation, I have another passion, which is scuba diving, which actually brought me very very close to sustainability and to the environment. And I wanted to bring my passions together. And so I opened my own consultancy, Nutrition Sustainability Strategies. And I started working solely with companies that are aiming at improving the food system. And so I work a lot with startups all over the world who have a problem to solve. And I help them in their uh, company strategy. I help them in the science strategy, in the positioning of their products from a, uh, an innovation perspective. Um, sometimes I open doors in the regulatory or in the exp geographical expansion world um, because I, my roles were were global, and it's it's fun. It's really fun because it, it, the, the variety of technological problems, the variety of technologies that uh, in my company we work with is, it's amazing. I mean, it goes from 
simple plant-based to gene editing, to cell agriculture, to precision fermentation, to biomass fermentation, to all of the above sometimes in the same. So it's, uh, it, it's really, it's, it's really cool. Where would you say the investors are more likely to want to put their money behind? Well, so far they have been really um, putting their money behind. Um, if we stay in the world of uh, sustainable food systems in the in the food area, not in the ag, but in the food, uh, a lot behind re, uh, alternative proteins. So that's that has. has yeah, we've of, seen that. I've seen we've yeah. seen a lot in alt protein. Uh, alternative proteins. I, I I think within that alternative protein, I would say that we're missing a lot of opportunities because um, we're almost tackling it in one way. What do you mean we're missing opportunities? Everybody is obsessed about replacing meat. And yes. absolutely there is a market for replacing meat. They're trying to do like a one-for-one, one, right? Replacement? They're trying to do one-for-one. And, and I have nothing to say against the fact that we're trying to do one for one. We, there, we absolutely need to do that. However, if you think about plant-based in a, with a much, with a little bit more open mind, you would think that there are other venues of plant-based without having to replace meat. And if we think about displacing meat versus replacing it, there would be opportunities of making vegetables more um, taste better, vegetables look better, vegetables having a better texture. And here you're going to be in a situation where in one situation, the consumer has a really, really amazing experience with meat. And we're trying to give the consumer a second best. On the other hand, we have consumers who really want to eat vegetables, but really don't like it. And so if we can upgrade versus downgrade their experience, that's another market. Yeah, I would have to agree with you just from the consumer's point, And that's the, the angle that I'll be taking here today when I, you know, when I chat with you. I'm a flexitarian. I do substitute out, you know, um, alt protein, but it sometimes it does feel like it's an alternative, um, a second best, if you will. If if I'm trying to compare flavor, texture, consistency, all those types of things, right? Because they're trying to make a substitute. Yep, and and even I mean, if you if you look, there are companies who are making um, burger patties with the real vegetables. They are not trying to mimic the meat of the, of the burger, but they are making patties with vegetables that, that really, really taste great. Um, and, and so that's, that's, what, that's why I prefer the word displacing because it gives you a lot of freedom on how to do things. Um, they, uh, they're companies like Motif who are, uh, I, I love what they're doing in the sense of they're looking at biodiversity i mean we nature is immense and we have not scratched the the surface of what is palatable in nature what we can eat in nature and with ai with how much we can explore in nature we probably can create foods that do not exist but come from nature and that 
maybe taste better than what we have today. How would we use uh, AI, Maha, for for discovery? Let's say, for example, we find the molecules that are responsible for a better taste, for a certain profile in flavors, et cetera, et cetera. And then we can map a number of uh, plants and see which ones has that, which has- Oh, that's which ones really has, cool. Which one has less bitterness, which one has more sweetness, which ones- and, and, and so we can, we can do a triage or a selection in vegetables or in plants that could be good candidates for product development in, uh, introduction for, uh, for food consumption. So you're not talking about like genetically modifying, right? You're just, you're just talking about like creative creations or combinations. No, not in this case. I'm not talking about genetically modifying them, but I'm, I'm talking about finding ways of extracting from nature and finding in nature things that actually would inherently be, um, good and taste good and with a good texture and, uh, could help actually enhance that experience with vegetables. So do you think that is the next kind of frontier for us? For sure. The next frontier for us, I think it's really a, be a better understanding of how we can make vegetables be more in the center of the plate rather than meat. And so that's why, again, I like the displacing versus replacing um, because displacing gives us a lot of freedom in what do we replace it with. It doesn't have to smell like meat. It doesn't have to look like meat. It's, it just have to give a, a consumer a, a much enjoyable experience than what vegetables usually give to majority of us. Not everybody. There are people who really love vegetables for what they are, but it's not just, it's not the case for everybody. You know what I want? I want to see uh, uh, changes to, or to sugar. I have such a huge sugar addiction. I know you and I kind of talked about it. I don't think you have a sugar addiction. But <laughs> why? Okay. So why not? I mean, I listen, I have my morning ritual. I'm going to have my coffee. I put sugar, I put cream after meals. You know, I tend to want something kind of sweet afterwards. I thought that was what that was. But you told me when we talked that you have your coffee, you put one small spoon or two of sugar in your coffee, and then you have dessert, and then, and then that's it. And then in the morning, you need a little bit of sugar to have a little bit of energy for your day. That's fine. Having something sweet after a, a, a lunch, why not? Uh, it's part of the pattern and the, the habits of eating for a lot of Western countries to have something sweet to end, kind of like a signature of the end of a meal. Yes. Um, I don't see here like you are binging on um, on 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 sugar between your between your breakfast and lunch no. and then between lunch and dinner. That's not. That's not excessive consumption of sugar. You have just, a, I think we need to really be reasonable in not vilifying things in a way that makes it like, oh, it's just, we can't even have a little bit of it. But it is interesting though, because you're right, sugar has been kind of vilified, but yet it's very much part of just most of the food that we eat. So, um, 
you've got a consume, uh, you have an entrepreneur that wants to fix a problem, right? They, they want to be like a mission based or maybe a social enterprise, something like that. Do you find that it's better to start with the, the product itself that you want to create or do they start with the problem first and then work backwards? Cause I find that I've talked to entrepreneurs that have said, gosh, they kind of wish they had started with the food or the beverage first rather than trying to tackle the problem because they can get off track. Does that make sense? It makes sense. But for me, it depends on what problem you're talking about. In my humble opinion, and for, I've, I, I have been successful and unsuccessful with innovation. So uh, in my humble opinion, if the problem is a consumer problem, that is the right place to start. If you're talking about the problem of the planet, of the food system, etc., that is not necessarily a good place to start with your product development, with how you see yourself developing a product. There is absolutely an overarching problem in our society. In, in Yes, but what we are developing, we're developing products that should make sense and should solve problems for consumers in their daily life. I'll, 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 let me give you an example. If I'll take a mom, she works 10, 12 hours a day. She has three kids. And she wakes up at six in the morning and she has to prepare the breakfast and the lunch boxes for her kids and then go and take them to practice sports. And at this, I'm, I'm talking about a word prior. Yeah, to I mean, you're hours. talking about a totally full yeah. life of full every life. meal and running okay. the kids around. So are you going to sell a product to her really reaching to that mom saying, okay, you are destroying the planet by doing this and this and this. You need to buy these products that are sustainable. Or is it a better way to reach out to this mom to understand her daily struggles and see how you can bring a progress? If a progress is to make her kids eat vegetables without the drama that goes with it all the time, she's going to buy the product. Because it's make, it's going to make her life easy. And by the way, you're going to be, as a founder, absolutely delivering on your mission and your values and what you want to do for the food system. But if you approach it in terms of fear that people need to act because the planet is going is gonna, to is, is gonna suffer and we cannot live on it, it's, it's not really motivating for consumers consumers don't have the time and i really really um i insist we should never blame consumers for not having the time or say well they don't know we need to educate them or patronize them that is the absolutely wrong approach we're not in their shoes we don't live their life and therefore we need to understand their life and listen to their struggles and try to find solutions to their struggles while delivering food that is nutritious and sustainable, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you're talking about a marketing problem. No, I'm talking about innovation. I'm well, I mean, it's a marketing problem if you approach them and try to guilt them, you know, into selecting the product out of guilt or fear. And you're saying, no, that's not how you approach them. You can still 
be executing on your mission, right? But you're approaching the consumer at the consumer level, fixing their problem. That's what I meant. Yeah, I agree. But if you approach it that way, you also are not going to deliver it with in mind it needs to test better for the kids. It da, da, da. You will not have these attributes in mind while you are developing your product because you'll be so obsessed about what you're going to put on the package so that you deliver your message and not necessarily on the things that matter to her. It's, you can be, it's two products that are different that you will be developing if you're developing them for two different reasons. It's not, I'm not saying you're a food futurist or anything like that, but you are obviously focused on trends and consumer sentiments. Where else are consumers moving? What other new directions do you find that people are moving into that companies need to be trying to address? I think people are needing some, uh, how can I call it? Some, some peace with their food. This truly this tension with uh, a binary world where sometimes sugar is the devil, sometimes fat is the devil. Um, losing weight is still a big issue for a lot of people. And I think people are trying to move from, I need to lose weight, I'm going to do this diet and then this diet. And, then, and they're looking for something that is more maybe wholesome, maybe has ticking on different values than just decreasing the calories by shutting down one of the micronutrients. And, and I think that's good. If we can deliver that to them, that's good. Because having an obsessive, um, uh, bad relationship with food, it's not healthy. Uh, one of the anthropologists that I have worked with in Europe, he said, we are the only species that really has a problem with their source of living and with their territory. We have, a, we, we are starting to have a complicated relationship with actually the food that help us to live and with the environments that we live in, we're destroying it. So it's usually not behaviors that describe how a species thrive. Yeah, I I I kind of resonate with that because you can get kind of obsessed and focused, you know, on food or calories or a certain, you know, ingredient. And it does kind of put you at odds, you know, with it. And what we in what the research shows is that truly when people start dieting, the more diets they do, the more weight they accumulate because they put the weight on again and then they start another diet. And you see like it's kind of like a stairs. Um, uh, you think it has a negative, a negative effect? Yeah. Ultimately, so, right? It's like you get off the diet and you kind of bounce back even more, you're saying? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, and that, that's exactly, that's my point. It's like you're not you know, you haven't transitioned to a better way of eating and just let the better way of eating be your normal. And I am a strong believer in the, in the next generation. If we really find ways to introduce um, vegetables to kids very early, an introduction of 
uh, a food to a, to to a toddler is twenty five times, twenty times. That is one in one exposure. An exposure is twenty five, twenty times exposing the the toddler to broccoli. It's not one time and then he decides or she decides that she, that she doesn't like it. It's it's really the um, we learned a lot about parenting and how we can truly bring uh, kids to liking vegetables and to liking things that are healthy at an early age. It's tough. It's not easy, but it is feasible. And I've not heard that much, but that's a, you just have to be committed to that. I wish I had known that. I don't think I exposed, you know, the children to you know, uh, a type of food that many times, right? Because after a while, if they don't like it, it's kind of like it's hard, right? You're just, you're trying it's to hard. get, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to get dinner done. You don't want to have crying, that kind of stuff. But you're saying you need to find a way to continue the exposure 20, 25 times, and then it starts becoming adopted. Yep. And the exposure starts during pregnancy. The um, breastfeeding contribute to the exposure to so oh, okay. they are you 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 can start early in that process. So nutrition of the mother during pregnancy is important. So there are, there are a lot of things that we know now that we didn't really truly uh, know and we didn't communicate enough about. Apparently, we're still not communicating enough about that. I don't think it is. <laughs> I, it's definitely not being communicated enough when you're talking to a a prospective client, what, what types of, of business problems are they having when they come to you and you look at that client and you say, you know what, I can help them. I, I want people to get an understanding of maybe where their business is. They're at a point when they would need to maybe talk to you. I'm assuming, you know, you obviously you take on new clients. So tell, tell me a little bit about the business situation or maybe phase of the growth the company's in that they say, you know what, I need, we need some outside help. We need some advisory here. So I, I do different things. So a company could, um, could come to me and say, okay, we have done, uh, we are at this level of concept development of our product. We're, we're, we're entering the scaling up of, of, of this path for our, for our products. What I do often with companies is I connect them with places where they can partner, where they can scale up, where they can expand and shorter their time to market. What I also do is really to, which is really something that happens often with, with, with startups, they usually do not have a pipeline of innovation they have um, a product, a technology, um, but they don't. They're not thinking about okay. And so, what's next? What is my next generation? How do I build the pipeline? What is going to happen when my product will be in the market and people can copy it? Because not everybody has technology insulation to the point where nobody can copy it. Um, and so we work on a pipeline. Um, I work with companies in their regulatory strategy um, and not only in entry to market, but in how to gain competitive advantage. 
Now, that sounds kind of interesting, how to build a competitive advantage into your food or beverage uh, lineup. Absolutely. And I can tell, I'll give you the example of General Mills because that, that is an example I can, I can, I can talk about. Um, of course, you know, regulatory, there is a lot of protecting yourself and there's a lot of like opening the door for entry to market with grass, with novel food, with uh, all of the applications to be in a market. But there is also that also claims, nutrition claims, structure function claims, et cetera, et cetera. At General Mills, we had, um, and you can build science in a way that you might own a territory or you might um, preempt and be the first to be talking about something. Jeremiah's um, did the great work on whole grains and did a lot of fundamental research on whole grain. And so that actually was one of the things. Um, the regulation on the labeling of dietary fiber changed drastically four or five years ago in the U.S. And I know as for sure that a lot of startup companies don't know that and it's going to hit them very hard. Um, and so for General Mills, who had a brand called Fiber One, it was extremely important that we clear that regulation and we petitioned and we petitioned and got the, the fibers used in Fiber One on the list of dietary fibers that is that are recognized by uh, FDA. And so that and 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 you do it, you're the first to do it, and you get it and you go. Um, and so these are the type of things that you can do with, with regulatory to do competitive advantage. And people are always scared about regulatory because they think it's not oh, it's gonna <laughs> it's problems. It's not problems. It's really, really a way to um, gain market share, to be the first in in the market for th- some things. It's a business moat, you know. You talk when you when if you're an investor, you're looking. You don't want you want to invest in companies that have a a moat around them that people just can't yeah. easily scale and and take over your market share. Yeah, I do a lot of innovation workshops with the the companies because that's what I say about talk about when I'm saying like your what is your innovation pipeline what is your next thing that you're going to do to build your company for the long run and it's just not just the two years to get to the IPO that that counts but a little bit more more than that plant-based it's like a wall with multiple doors and everybody is rushing in one door but there are so many other doors that are open and how can you explore depending on your brand depending on your which which are the doors that would be coherent for for your company you know i feel like we are literally just kind of scratching the surface on so many topics and i i hope this is just kind of wetting everyone's whistle so to speak for the types of conversations that that you and i can have I'm really looking forward to bringing back some some plant-based foods or uh, functional beverages and introducing these CEOs and entrepreneurs to you and kind of hearing just, you know, as you kind of peel back the layers of the onion, just what are they doing? Are they setting themselves up for success? I think it's going to be fascinating. Uh, we didn't have a lot of examples to go through today because we just wanted to have a kind of a casual little little chat, but I think it'll be really fascinating when we actually have a live brand that comes down here uh, and has the um, 
the guts <laughs> to come down here and, um, you know, kind of talk through these things with, with us. I think it'll be kind of exciting to do yeah, that. That would be great. That'd I think it'll be, be I think it'll be, it'd be a lot of fun. Like I said, we're just kind of scratching the surface of all the things that you're, that you're working in. One of the questions I wanted to ask, and I know we won't be able to get into it fully, but I know you said you've kind of worked around the world and I'm just kind of curious what parts of the world are probably the most advanced um, in this. And I, I would imagine, you know, America in some cases is not leading um, and just, you know, I wonder how far we have to go. Um, it depends on what you're talking about. I mean, on, on technologies for, um, uh, for alternative proteins, the U.S. is doing great. Europe is doing well. Doing Israel is really, really an amazing country for um, for innovation, and therefore they crack a lot of problems because their the infrastructure, the way the country is really promoting innovation, and the proximity of the players together is. Um, Interesting. Singapore is a good hub also for innovation. Um, Japan has been on technology for a long time, not the technology in food necessarily, but they are getting into it. They really are. And so I, I think uh, everybody is getting into it. Some are historically very much um it's very much anchored and some are going to be very quick in catching up. Um, I, what I really believe is that the technology is not going to be the big barrier. Um, so that begs the question, what will be the big barrier? People? I think what will be the big barrier is really understanding the consumer uh, because technology will not meet we have really, really smart people and tools and everything. I mean, if you go to Berlin and there are groups that are doing an amazing group in technology and developing technologies, et cetera. You, the, the, what will actually help the category to become mainstream is the understanding of the consumer. It's developing products that actually will do a job for the consumer. It's targeting those struggles for the consumer. That is how, and, and it's almost getting out of just replacing alternative protein. This not be alternative protein because the market of alternative protein might be beyond just being alternative protein. And that's where the genius of, uh, for us to be like doing not vertical innovation, like we're all looking at alternative protein. Okay, how can I replace a protein by protein in my category? But there are jobs that consumers have in multiple moments of the day. And if we looked at this job agnostic to what's in there, we might actually be doing horizontal innovation and taking from other things than just proteins because maybe alternative proteins will deliver the job much better. We don't know that because we're not exploring what alternative protein can do outside of just the job of alternative proteins. 
Yeah, that's a uh, that's a big topic for us to unpack, and I hope we can. And I hope everyone has had a, a great little insight into the mind of Maha. <laughs> We've got more coming, but that will have to wait for another podcast session. Uh, Maha, thank you so much for, for joining you for me today me. and kind of just giving everyone a, a taste for, you know, what it what the future is really going to hold in alternative proteins and just this kind of innovation flywheel that really needs to be created. Thank you very much for having me. I would love to continue the conversation. I think uh, this is a topic that will last for a long time. And the more of us that are putting our heads together, the better it's going to be for solving the solutions of um, the problems of the future. I agree. It's going to be exciting. And we look forward to our next one. So this is our first installment with Dr. Maha Tahari. Thanks so much for joining us, Maha. Thank you. Bye-bye.